I've uh, witnessed <clears throat> the last couple weeks uh, the riots across our country and seen protests even literally in, in my backyard right here in Crystal Lake uh, where I could hear uh, people chanting uh, from out on my porch. Um, as I've witnessed these things in the last couple weeks, I have often found myself thinking, what, what can I do? What, what should I do? What would Jesus do? And uh, yes, the WWJD uh, that was so, so popular, so famous, it was on wristbands and t-shirts you know, 20 years ago. And you still will occasionally see that around. What would Jesus do is a tremendous question that we have to ask. And what would Christ do in this time? And then more specifically, I think we need to ask ourselves, what must I do? If this is what Christ would do, and I have been left here to be his hands and feet, then what must I do to continue that mission that Christ put into place when he began his mission here on earth 2,000 years ago? And so we're going to look into God's Word today. We're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter 4 with me this morning? And uh, the great thing about video is you can pause right now and go grab your Bible. Um, unfortunately, if you're watching this on the same device you use your Bible, it may be difficult to get there. But see if you can get to Luke chapter 4 and look with me at God's Word today. And let's let God's Word, inspired by His Holy Spirit that is written on our hearts, let us see what God teaches us today about how we can have a proper response in a time like this. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up and three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow." And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. 
In the timeline of Jesus' ministry, these verses that tell this story of what Christ did were very, very early on. He had just come uh, from being tempted in the desert by the devil, which from there he had just come from being baptized by John. So this is very early in the ministry of Christ. Uh, He's yet to call his disciples. Um, He's just beginning uh, to teach in the synagogue. And there have been very few stories told of what Christ has done to this point. But there's obviously something been done because there's a reference that up at Capernaum he had done something. And now in Nazareth, the people in that town want Christ to do it there. But this being very early in Christ's ministry, it begins to set the tone for what Christ's ministry was really all about. Here we have in the first perhaps weeks of Christ's public ministry, we have him declaring what his purpose is, why he came to this earth. He came, it says, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to see that the recovery of the sight is brought to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And all of this is being done as he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. This is early on. We get a glimpse of what Christ is all about. And the first thing I see here in this passage is that I don't need, I don't need to, I dare not, I dare not grow comfortable in my hometown. I dare not grow comfortable in my comfortable place saying, well, everything's okay right here. Jesus, just do for me right here. Just, just, you know, Jesus, this is your hometown. You've blessed me, and I love your blessing, Jesus. So Jesus, just camp out with me, and let, let's let this be for us. Hey, Jesus, you know, why don't you just settle down right here and do for me what I want you to do for me, and let that be enough. The, the hometown of Christ, Nazareth, was asking Jesus to, to do great things and, and just stay right there. Uh, we see that by the end of this passage, they're ready to kill him. So I don't know how fond they were of him, but they wanted for themselves what they wanted for themselves. They wanted their hometown, their place to be nice. And Jesus says to them in the later parts of this passage, he says that there were Uh, There was a time in Israel when there was great uh, famine, when it didn't rain for a long period of time, and people were running out of crops in their fields, and there was no flour, and they were running out of olives from which they could press the oil that they needed, and the people were running out of things, and, and so many people had need in Israel, but Christ says, where did Elijah and Elisha go during that time? Did they stay and minister only to Israel? No, in fact... The widow that was gone to was a a Gentile, wasn't a Jewish person. And so the hope uh, that was brought to the hopeless was taken away from the hometown. It was taken to people that were different. It was taken to people that were hurting. And it was not kept and hoarded for just the people of God, just the, the nation of Israel back then. But the goodness of God was to spill over and not just spill over, but be poured out to the people that were different from the Israelites. And similarly, uh, the healing that came to Naaman, he was a leper. And, and lepers were to be shunned. Lepers were to be left outside the city gates to die. And, and Naaman was not just a leper, but he was a Gentile leper. 
He's not a Jewish man. He was not part of the family of God, the nation of Israel. He was a Gentile leper. And to whom did Elisha bring the healing of God? To someone different than the Israelites. To someone who was oppressed not just by Israel, but would have been oppressed by his own people and would have been shunned and shamed because of the leprous disease that he had. And Christ says to the people in Nazareth, look, it's, it's not about having a good old boys club. It's not about having a, a cute little you know, white church on a country hill with the, the small group of people that go there and it's us four and no more. And that's not why Christ came. Christ didn't come just to, to save a few people so he could have a club up in heaven someday. Christ came to preach freedom for all the captives, for liberty for all the oppressed. He came uh, to open the eyes of all mankind. He came to preach good news to all the poor not just to the select few. And so that's the first thing I see here, is that Jesus' mission was not just about finding a few buddies, maybe his 12 disciples or his hometown or Calvary Assembly of God or, or any other church that exists. It's not about just us having our own little club. And now that, God, now that Jesus has his club, he's just going to invest in those people. You see, in fact, the mission of Jesus is to go find the sick, and to find the lost, and to see them healed. It's to go to where the sinners are and give them hope and talk to them about the hope of eternal life and the eternal glory with God the Father. His goal is to do that. And so in some ways, once Christ has found you and brought you into the fold, he now says, okay, good, I've got you. I will keep you. I love you. You are mine. I will invest in you. But there's more people I have to go find. Jesus is never content. God the Father is never content to say, oh, I've got enough people. Heaven will be adequately populated at the end now. No, he wants all men to come to repentance. And that means uh, Jesus needs to go outside of the church. And he needs to have us go outside of the church and outside of our comfort zone to find those people that are different than us and to love them and to show them the love of God in Christ. What did Jesus do when he came if it wasn't to go to the sick and the outcast and the oppressed and to give them hope? To find a sinner caught in the midst of her sin and tell those who were judging her and oppressing her, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. And Jesus says to that woman, go and sin no more. And he sees her set free from her accusers, set free from her oppressors. Christ quietly loved his neighbors. Christ sincerely and gently spent time with his 12 disciples teaching them. And he spent time loving the world that was around him. He didn't go to the top of the government. He didn't start petitions. Uh, he didn't uh, organize protests. And don't get me wrong, those who are protesting righteously against the injustice in this country have every right to do so. And I would not do anything to stop those who are out there saying that all lives matter, black lives matter, you know, uh, justice, and let's see people who commit crimes, let's see them uh, prosecuted for those crimes. And those who are innocent, let's stop persecuting them. Those who have that message... You're free to share it, and I encourage you to do so in the right way as our laws allow. 
But Christ was not one who organized protests. Christ was one who, who quietly and confidently loved his neighbors and brought a message of hope to them. And he instructed his disciples to do the same. There were times when Christ ministered to very large crowds and he would speak boldly. And there are other times where Christ would just minister very privately to a family or to the servant of a centurion or to a woman with an issue of bleeding. And Christ spent the majority of his time within the masses ministering to the individuals that had needs. And I believe he calls us to do the same. He calls us to love the individuals, to find the people who are hurting, to find the people that are oppressed, and to give them the hope of glory. And when it is within our power to do something physically to help them, we are to do that as well. For Scripture says that if, if we tell someone you feel bad for where they are, but go, go be well, be warm and well-fed, but we don't do anything, that we become worthless as the servants of Christ. We certainly need to be helping and loving and caring for our neighbors. It's interesting to note that when Jesus gave this message to the crowd that day, that they should be about loving other people and, and preaching the good news to people outside of Nazareth, what was the response? It says that these leaders in the first century um, synagogue, the leaders of first century Judaism, they conspired to throw Jesus off a cliff. He promised freedom, healing, liberation, and redemption. And they want to throw him off the cliff for it. We dare not let our hearts grow calloused to where we would think that someone else doesn't deserve that freedom, that healing, that liberation, that redemption. For all mankind is worthy of that in Christ. And no man or woman on this earth deserves to be persecuted unnecessarily for crimes they didn't commit. We see it too often where people are persecuted for crimes they didn't commit. And we can't stand for it anymore. Even if the people are different from us, we must see to it that we share the love of God with them. For this is why Christ came. It says that Christ came to proclaim good news to the poor. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives. He came to um, restore sight to the blind and bring liberty to the oppressed. Let's talk briefly about these four things that Christ came to do. First, he came to proclaim good news to the poor. What is the cause of poverty? Where does poverty come from? Is it, is it just because some people don't know how to work hard? Is it because some people are poor money managers? Is it simply an issue of individuals not knowing how to be rich? No. Poverty is the result of sin. When God created the heavens and the earth and he placed Adam and Eve in that beautiful lush garden of Eden, he said to them that all the produce, all that's here that's vegetation is given to you for food. You have all that you need here in the beautiful, perfect fruit and vegetables of the garden of Eden. It says also in those first two chapters of Genesis that the Garden of Eden was planted among rivers and in those river valleys was gold, all the gold they would need. What they needed gold for initially in those first few days, I have no idea. But as time went on, I'm sure God would have had them use that gold for all sorts of things, for making beautiful ornaments, uh, for making things 
um, to, to wear, for making uh, things to share with other people. But there was much gold there. There was peace. There was health. These were constants in the Garden of Eden. There was no changing to the peace. It just was always peace. It just was always health. There was no sickness. There was no strife. There was no shame. There was, it was perfect. And there was no poverty. There was no lack of anything. Adam and Eve had everything they needed, from the relational peace they needed, to the food they needed, to any resource they would have needed. It was all there. There was no poverty. But when sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve committed that first sin and the curse of sin was brought down on this earth, suddenly work that already existed that was not exhausting is now exhausting. It was by the sweat of the brow that Adam would get fruit to come out of the ground. It was through pain and childbearing um, that the next generation would be born. Uh, there was disease. There was the overwhelming of weeds that would choke out the things that were growing. There was strife. There was shame. There was relational difficulty. And all of this begins to bring about the reality of poverty in our world where we may not be able to get enough. The other reality of poverty is that the actions of sinful men and women today result in some people being very poor. There are wonderful, good business owners in this world who pay their employees well and give them Christmas bonuses and love them and make sure they have what they need. And there are, there are groups of people that rally together to help those who are in financial need, but then there are those who are not so fair. There are those who abuse their power as business owners and managers and leaders. And that sin of selfishness results in additional poverty. And it just continues on and on because of the sin of selfishness and pride, because of the reality of disease and lack and strife and all that goes on in this world. Poverty is a result of sin. So what is the good news to the poor? What is the good news that Christ brings to the poor? The first thing that someone who's poor needs to understand that is in Christ we are rich. In our poverty physically, in our poverty financially, we are rich in Christ. We are rich because of his love. We are rich because of what he has done for us and what he has given us. We are rich because he has transformed us. We are rich. And Paul said, I've learned the ability to be content in all situations. Why? Because he understood his richness in Christ. It didn't mean if he was going without something, if he was stranded, if he was neglected or persecuted, no matter what his poverty situation might have been, he was content because he understood that in Christ he is rich. The love of God transforms hearts also and compels God's children to minister to the poor. This is the good news that Christ brought. He brought good news to the poor, not only that they were rich in him if they would receive him, but also that he was going to teach people how to love. And Jesus is in the business of transforming you and me to make us more selfless and less selfish so that we begin to be a people of God that pour out love to those that have need. And so the good news of the poor is, one, that they're rich in Christ, and two, that, that God is, is redeeming a people who will help the poor. Are we helping the poor? Are you helping the poor? Are you able to give a hand out and give a hand up? Do these pictures of hands behind me that are reaching down, do we as followers of Christ reach down to pick up those 
who are fallen before us? Do we reach down and give a hand out to those who need a hand up? This is the good news to the poor. If you're not poor, does this mean there's no good news for you? In this culture, Crystal Lake, Illinois, McHenry County, uh, there are many people who are not uh, suffering from lack. We have a sharing center, and we bless many families with it, and we're able to see that some of the poverty in our area is eased because of efforts of this church. Uh, but this church, um, you know, we have quite a bit of resources. We are not necessarily a poor people. Does this mean that the good news does not apply to us? Well, let me just tell you this, that every one of us is to become poor, to become poor in spirit, not seeking our own gain, not seeking fame for ourselves. We're to become poor in spirit, meaning that we live selflessly, humble. We, we become poor in spirit, meaning that we place others before us in line, and that we are not thinking more of ourselves than we ought, than we ought but we're thinking of the needs of others even before we think of our own needs. We are to use our position, possessions and our position if we have wealth, if we have the ability to do something. We should use those things for the good of others, ultimately so that we can store up our most precious treasures in heaven. When we look at what's going on around us, certainly much of the, the racism that exists in this country results in poverty, and the poverty results in more racism as that disparity between rich and poor and different communities and different cities grows wider because of the, the exacerbation of poverty and the, the perpetuation of wealth for the affluent, it, it just becomes more and more. And we as followers of Christ need to be doing what we can to help bring those groups together, not to steal from the rich to give to the poor, but to preach the good news and prayerfully see one of those wealthy people who's abusing the poor see their life transformed so they begin to invest their resources in the lives of the poor and oppressed. And we set the way. We model that as followers of Christ. And we pray that the good news would spread so that poverty becomes less and less of an issue in this world because we see sin being driven out of people's lives by the good news of the gospel. Secondly, it says that Christ came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Captivity is brought on by a couple different things. One, it might be that I did something wrong and now I am being held captive. If I commit a crime and I have to go to jail, I'm not in prison because of something someone else did. I'm there because of what I did. The other thing is that some people can be in prison or held captive uh, innocently. And that is because of the sin of the person who wants to imprison them. Someone may have lied about what they did. Or someone may be on a power trip and just want to imprison somebody so they make up a story so they can have them imprisoned. And so captivity, if we want to look at it as prison, we look at it as either brought on by one person's sin that got them put there justly or another person's sin that has them put there unjustly. But at the end of the day, poverty is caused by sin and captivity is caused by sin. Christ's message to the people was that sin is an evil thing. Christ's message to the disciples, Christ's message to the community was to stay away from sin, 
to go and sin no more, to not let sin be a part of your life. And so if someone is held captive because of their sin, there has to be the good news of forgiveness preached to them and offered to them. It doesn't necessarily mean that you get a get-out-of-jail-free card just because you say, Jesus, forgive me. You may still be held captive to the consequences of your actions. But the message of spiritual forgiveness can be offered to that individual. For the person, on the other hand, who's been imprisoned unjustly, remember the words of Christ, that if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, yours is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew chapter 5. If you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, Jesus says he's got your back. If you've done wrong, there's forgiveness. But if you've done no wrong and been persecuted for it, then let Christ be the one who has your back. Let Christ be the one who, uh, who brings vengeance on the one who's wrongfully held you captive. Leave room for Christ to do that. Jesus did not come to release all the prisoners from the jails. This is not what that means. He is not saying that he came to proclaim liberty for the captives, meaning I'm going to walk into the prisons, I'm going to let everybody go. For certainly Christ died next to two criminals hanging on the cross. And the best thing he could do for those criminals was not get them off the cross so they could go live their lives some more. The best thing he could do was speak to the one criminal and say, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the good news for the captive, is that if you are wrongfully imprisoned, he has your back. And through a relationship with him, you can be in paradise with Christ. And for the one who's done something wrong and felt imprisoned for that, forgiveness is available. Are you held captive physically today? Good news. It will come to an end, either in this life or by entering into eternity with Christ. Are you held captive spiritually? Then let yourself be set free. Let Christ's power to forgive your sins break the power of addiction in your life. Let Christ's power that he, took, that, that, that he uh, received when he broke sins back on the cross, let Christ's power that he gained there be what sets you free from the shame of sin, from the slavery that you have to sin. There's good news for the captive. Whatever is holding you captive, whether it's an outside influence, a person who's holding you captive, a spiritual force that's holding you captive, or whether it's an inside thing, it's turmoil within you, it's a battle you have with an addiction or some sin, let the power of Christ set you free. And as followers of Christ, we have a duty to share that message, whether it's visiting folks that are imprisoned, which can't happen right now, but at some time it'll become available again to visit those and share them the hope of the gospel. I've been in the jails, and I know that the men, uh, I've never visited a women's jail, so I'll just say the men, but the men who are in that jail, many have found Christ and realized that whatever addiction or behavior or problem that they had that got them in there is not so big that God can't fix it. And they're looking forward to the day of getting out and having a fresh start, and not just they themselves having a fresh start, but having a fresh start with Jesus as their Savior. And this is the message we have to take to all who are held captive. Maybe it's a friend or a neighbor or a relative who's held captive by a, a painful addiction or um, a wrong thought process that you can straighten out by God's grace as you share the hope of the gospel with them. And this freedom will, will truly set them free. 
Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He who is free in Christ is free indeed. Let us be a people who is about speaking the good news of Jesus Christ to those who need it so that the captive can be set free. The third thing Christ says is he comes that the restoring of sight might become a reality. This blindness, if captivity and and poverty are both caused by sin, how about blindness? Is blindness also caused by sin? It absolutely is. Sin either causes physical blindness, and in the case of the man who was healed that was born blind, it wasn't him or his parents' sin that did it. It was the general reality of sin in the world that allowed him to be born blind so that Christ could be glorified at the moment of his healing. It is sin that causes physical blindness. There was no blindness in the Garden of Eden, and there would not be any blindness had sin never entered the world. But as far as diseases go and as far as blindness goes, it's only a reality because of sin. But there's also a spiritual blindness. There's a blindness that's a reality uh, for many people in this world. Jesus came to open the eyes of the spiritually, spiritually blind. Yes, he healed several men in the New Testament of their physical blindness, but he came to open the eyes of all. For this promise of opening the eyes of the blind is a, is a small promise if it's only to those who are actually physically blind. But if it's a promise to each of us to heal our spiritual blindness, then it becomes a great promise of God. Spiritually, Christ came to open the eyes of all mankind because they could not see the hope that was before them. They could not see the love of God if Christ had not come to show it. They would not have the hope of redemption if Christ had not shown them the hope of redemption. Even as Jesus walked this earth, he often would say things to his disciples like, seeing they don't see and hearing they don't understand. In the early chapters of John, it says that the light shined in the darkness, but the people could not understand it. There's a blindness that's over the eyes of mankind. Eyes and hearts are darkened to the truth, and many refuse to be set free by the good news of Jesus Christ. What you and I can do as followers of Christ is model that freedom, model that sight, model that hope, so that others see our lives just as they saw Christ's life and were able to see the love that he had, when others look at us, maybe they can see Christ's love in us. Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians that the eyes of, of the Ephesians' hearts would be opened, that they would see and know the goodness of God, that they would know the hope that they have, they would know the power they have, they would know the love of God and how they have the ability to share that love. Christ came to open eyes to see the good news of redemption. The good news is that we can recognize what's been laid in front of us. We can embrace it. We can choose to see the hope before us. We can choose to share the hope before us with others. Or we can choose to not see it. There are many who will have the gospel laid right in front of them and never see it. There are many who will see and hear the truth of the redemptive work of Christ on the cross but refuse to receive it. refuse to allow it to come into their lives and penetrate who they are and open their eyes to the truth of God. Blindness is caused by sin. Christ came to open the eyes. And it brings us to the last of the four points, that Christ came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. 
and this is where I feel like we are most at today in America, is that there is an oppression. There's certainly a spiritual oppression that has existed as the devil been, has been about his ways for all time, trying to oppress those and, and, and even possess and to show that, that he can be so destructive. He's been about that for all time. But here today in America, we see that there is oppression. And, as you would suspect, this oppression is caused by sin. The dictionary defines oppression or the oppressed as a group that is burdened with cruel or unjust impositions or restraints. A group of people subjected to burdensome or harsh exercise of authority or power. In Christ's day, many people were oppressed. Many people were shunned. Many people had burdens put on them. Many people had harsh exercise of authority over their lives that made their lives miserable. Whether it was the leper who was an outcast and pushed out of the city, or it was a, a prostitute, maybe it was a Gentile, um, it was all manner of sinner and tax collector in the first century that was shunned and given a burden. These people were, were pushed out of the society to the, to the point that they were lost and sick and hopeless. But Jesus crossed the lines to go find them. Jesus went with his reckless love, as the song says, there's no shadow he won't light up. There's no mountain he won't climb up. He's coming after me. There's no wall he won't kick down. There's no lie he won't tear down, for he's coming after me. Jesus crossed all the lines and told the stories of lost coins, lost sheep, and lost sons to illustrate how he was the one who was going out to find the lost, how he was going to cross the lines, and he was going to stand in the face of oppression, and he was going to love the people that the community had shunned. He didn't rebel against the government and demand that they treat them more properly. He spoke up to the oppressors. He spoke directly to them, yes, but he did not openly rebel and, and, and protest them. He went to the people that needed the love and gave it to them. The times when Christ did approach the leaders, it wasn't often the government leaders. In fact, I don't see anywhere that Christ approached government leaders. There was a time where he had an opportunity to speak to Pilate, but it wasn't by his own approaching. But there were many times where he would talk to the religious leaders, and these were the most oppressive people in that day. To the Jewish people that Christ was ministering to and walking among, and to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles around, the ones that Christ was trying to show the hope of the gospel to, the religious leaders were very oppressive. The religious leaders looked at the, the Jewish people and said, you carry this burden. Do this if you want to have God be part of your life. And they would set on the shoulders of the Jewish people uh, a heavy weight, an oppressive weight that would make them feel shamed and worthless and as if they couldn't do enough to make God happy. And to the outsiders, to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles, and to other people groups around them, they wouldn't even give them an opportunity to even think they could come to God. Jesus has these words for the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. Yes, observe what they tell you that's Moses' law. 
you have an obligation to do. But you see, the Pharisees had added almost 400 extra laws to the law of Moses. The law in the Old Testament in Leviticus, the law that was given on Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments given for cleanliness, the, the Pharisees had added almost 400 additional laws for them to build their own religion on, laws that were oppressive to the people. And so Jesus says, yes, the things of Moses do, but these other 400 things, he says to them in verse 3, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Jesus says these are the oppressors. The religious people who put a heavy weight on the people are the oppressors. Are religious people oppressive today? I'm sure there are churches and church leaders and denominations that are oppressive on the people. I pray that this church is never known for that. I pray that I, as a pastor, am never known for putting a burden on someone else that I'm not willing to bear myself. But in these days, these religious leaders were putting oppressive weights on the shoulders of the people, and Jesus decries them. Jesus calls them at different times whitewashed sepulchers, sons of their father the devil. He cannot stand those who oppress others. In our day, there are those in our community who oppress people. It may be racial oppression. It may be some financial oppression. It may be some other oppression that is brought from, from either government officials or, or um, uh, city leaders or, or managers, business owners. There may be oppression being brought down on your neighbor by someone else. You may be an oppressor. You may be someone who pushes other people down for your own benefit. Jesus cannot stand these people. Jesus cannot stand those who do the oppressing. So what are we called to do? What can I do as a follower of Christ? If Christ would speak out against the oppressors, then shouldn't I do the same? For those uh, police officers who use their badge as a way to wield their authority over people's lives and oppress, stop it. Knock it off. And can I warn you that when you stand before God and he sees that you used your privilege of power and authority to abuse others, he will not be pleased. I don't care if you claim the name of Christ or if you are an atheist. Knock it off. And especially if you claim Christ, especially if you claim to be a good person, then knock it off. Do not oppress. Christ came to, to help the sick. Christ came to help the lost. And, and many, many police officers, many uh, civil leaders are helping. And I applaud you for that. But for the small majority who are oppressing those that they've been called to serve, Stop. Jesus came to proclaim freedom for those captives. He claimed, came to, to proclaim liberty for the oppressed. He wants to set people free. He doesn't want to hold them down. 
And when Christ announced this to the Jewish people in Nazareth that day, they wanted to throw him off a cliff because they were so self-centered and so selfish about what they wanted for themselves, they couldn't imagine that the Messiah, the promised one of God, would offer hope to non-Jewish people, people different than them. But that's precisely what Christ came to do, to offer hope to people different. And I thank God that he did, because I was one of the different ones once. I was on the outside looking in at the hope of the gospel. But Christ saw fit to find me. And Christ saw fit to find you. And who are we to then think that just because we're part of the club now, that we don't have to worry about anyone else. But Christ wants to use you and Christ wants to use me to go be a voice for the oppressed and to speak out and to stand with them and to help them Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's how the quote ends in verse 19. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what year was that? It was that year A.D. 31 maybe? Wouldn't it have been great to be alive in the year of the Lord's favor instead of being alive in 2020 when pandemics and, and plagues and racism and riots and all, you know, wouldn't it have been better to be alive in that year, the year of the Lord's favor? Well, let me tell you, church, Christ wasn't talking about 365 days. He was talking about a time that began with the hope of the gospel and an era that would last until his return. This is the time of the Lord's favor. This is the era of the Lord's favor. That means today is the day that Christ wants to set prisoners free. Today is the day he wants the blind eyes open. Today is the day he wants the poor to become rich in their relationship with God. And he wants the rich to become poor in spirit and use their riches to bless those who need the physical blessing of financial help. Jesus wants today to be the day that there's liberty for the oppressed. Today is the day. Today is the day when, when Christ wants to set free all who are willing to call on his name. Which means there are some cops that need redemption. It means there are factory workers and managers that need redemption. It means there are small business owners who need redemption. There are school teachers and paramedics and even Christians who've lost sight of the love they are to have for their neighbors whose theology has skewed their ability to love, they need redemption as well. I've, I've heard the chants, and I, I cannot agree with them. The ones that say, what do we want? Dead cops. When do we want them now? I don't want dead cops. I want redeemed cops. Jesus wants redeemed cops. I mean, how wonderful would it be if our police departments began being filled with people who had the love of God in their hearts, there are many great police officers doing great work, but what if a sweep of revival could go through? What if a revival could go through our, our school teachers? What if revival could go through uh, our small business owners? What if revival could sweep through the church of all places? Couldn't we stand a revival to give us a renewed passion for spreading the love of God, a renewed passion for obedience? A renewed passion for proclaiming the things that Christ proclaimed. 
I want revival. I don't just want a couple police departments uh, to have a little bit of reform. I want our nation to experience revival. I want people to hear the good news and respond to it. And church, the sobering reality is that if you and I are not the ones who proclaim that message, then it won't get proclaimed. We have a responsibility here. And uh, those who are organizing protests and peacefully speaking their mind, you have all the right to do it, and I support you. But for this church, what are you going to do to take the message of Jesus to those that need it? To stand with the oppressed. Christ certainly stood with the oppressed. Christ certainly stood with the poor. Christ certainly stood with all who were held captive. And what he offered them was not some sort of political freedom or civil rights. He offered them the hope of the gospel. Now I pray that the civil rights that were granted uh, 50 years ago are, are brought back in a fresh way and renewed and that we have a, a unification of red and yellow and black and white and, and all shades in between. I pray that we have a, a reunification of all people to understand the value of mankind so that this society, so that our community can be more fair to those people who have not been dealt a fair hand. But above all and beyond that, I pray for a revival. I pray for the good news of Jesus Christ to be for the poor, to be for the blind, to be for the captive, and to be for the oppressed. I stand with the oppressed. And you have to discern for yourself how you're going to do that. I'm still praying about new and different ways that I can do it. As, as I try already to be involved in different things that help the oppressed, I'm looking for more ways to do it. And I encourage you to do the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love for mankind. I thank you for uh, the relief from oppression that is available at the cross. For the ability that people like Paul had to endure all hardship because of his salvation. So God, may we first and foremost take the message of salvation to those that need it so that when they face oppression in its various forms that they would be able to fall back on the hope of the gospel. And Lord, also help us as your followers in this church, as your followers here in Crystal Lake, Illinois, help us to know how we can get involved to make sure that those of racial minority, those of different backgrounds, those who are different than us can receive a fair treatment from our society. Help us to know how we can be a blessing to them and help them to know that your followers stand with them. Lord, be a blessing to this church, not so that we can keep it for ourselves in our own hometown, as it were, but be a blessing to us that we might be a further blessing to those around us, especially to those who are different than we are. In Jesus' name, amen.